Our text this morning is Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. I'm going to read 3, 1 through 6, then 12 through 14, and then 4, 9 through 13, and then I'll come back to uh, the verses that I uh, am not going to read aloud at the beginning. Therefore, holy brothers you and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Moving to verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we indeed come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Now moving to verse 9 of chapter 4. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and of discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. So I don't love striving, because that's not the gospel, and yet, in a broken world, it takes effort for us, friends, to enjoy the kingdom. In verse 6 of chapter 3, it says, and we are his house. So Jesus is building a house. I wanted the constructing one. Okay, just leave it on the words if there's no constructing one. So Jesus is building something in you. You who share in a heavenly calling. What an incredibly challenging and humbling beginning to chapter 3. And he speaks about Jesus' superiority to Moses. and, And this is again where we can talk like we did last week about perhaps your theology is better than you think it is. If I said... Do you worship Jesus or worship Moses? I think both of you would say Jesus. And yet this is a remarkable, remarkable statement. For Moses saw the face of God. Moses led the people out of captivity to Pharaoh. Moses wrote about as profound a theology as we get, inspired by the Holy Holy Spirit. Genesis, Exodus. But Moses served, and he served faithfully. But the difference is, he served faithfully as a servant, and Jesus served faithfully as a son. Moses rescued 
the nation of Israel from Pharaoh, Jesus rescues us from a Pharaoh we cannot see. Sin and death, we see the effects of sin. We see the temptation to sin, but we cannot see it. Both were faithful, but one was faithful as a servant and one as a son. And the writer of Hebrews is talking about all this to encourage you. I'll talk about this more a couple different times because some of these verses taken out of context could be profoundly discouraging. In any moment, I think, in reading the book of Hebrews that we feel discouraged, I think we have missed the tone of the book. When Paul talks about how your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, the psalmist in Psalm 1 says, uh, blessed is the one who, who's, who trusts the Lord and he is like a tree planted by streams of water. This is the Hebrews writer the, the writer of Hebrews' version of that is an encouragement that you are Christ's house. And when in uh, chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, he says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the day of rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. There I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. He's talking about a moment in the history of Israel, uh, specifically Numbers 14. He's, t- he's using Psalm 95 to interpret that, and then he's using Jesus as the Christ who rose and is seated with God and will come again to help us live in the tension of the Christian life in between where we have the opportunity to trust the Holy Spirit as it builds us into a place where others can find refuge and rest. I was looking for the built house. This is what the Holy Spirit of God is doing in you as you trust Him and follow Him, reject temptation, learn to exhort the people in your life and encourage them. So you're a house that he dwells in. Paul speaks about that a little more specifically than the writer of Hebrews. But he says it here. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. And don't take that out of context to believe that um, you can do something that will make God leave you. You can't. He is the builder. But the writer of Hebrews, in his tone, is telling people that it's possible to lose some of the benefits of the with God life. Never God, but some of the benefits of the with God life through a lack of obedience to him. So what happened in Numbers 14 was uh, the nation of Israel sent 12 spies into Canaan. And the spies came back, and 10 of them were like, ah! And two of them were like, God's on our side. We'll be good. And the nation freaked out. And they did not get to enter. That was a great summary of Numbers 14, wasn't it? (laughs) And they didn't get to enter Canaan. Most of that generation, 99% of them. So the writer of Hebrews is taking something, he's he's understanding, Numbers 14, he's understanding it through the lens of Psalm 95 that he's quoting here to tell us that when we stop gathering for corporate worship, when we stop learning how to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ, when we stop trusting him in worship and confession and prayer, we are able to harm ourselves. And this is a, t- a tension that we live in, and as we grow in our understanding of the scriptures, let me just spell it out for you. This is in point 
four of my outline, but I want to say it now. Because we are to be encouraged by this, not discouraged by it. What can be lost in the with God life? Fellowship with him. Like a sense of it. Tasting his blessing. The psalmist loved to use the imagery of food and drink. Assurance of his love. Not his love, but assurance of his love can be lost. His delight in our actions can be lost. But what cannot be lost? Our status. After the Israelites sinned in Numbers chapter 14, they didn't become not God's people, but they didn't get to go into Canaan. As a metaphor, the writer of Hebrews is saying, when we neglect our worship and neighbor love, we harm ourselves. My question for you is, what kind of exhorter are you? What, what are your skills of encouragement? Not everybody encourages in the same way. For some of us, it's, it's uh, much more intimidating. When I was first working in, in St. Louis at Riverside Church, I worked with a guy named Kirk. Big guy, booming voice, used to be a car salesman. In one uh, video, he was on a, like hanging onto a helicopter, like doing an a ad for his car thing, and that feels tangential, but here's the thing. I said something com- complimentary about someone else in the church to Kirk, and he goes, you need to tell him that, in like his car salesman voice. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll tell him right now. And I think I called them. What kind of exhorter are you? Are you more of a card writer? Are you a phone caller? Are you an in-person? Outside right now? You know, all the things. What kind of exhorter are you? Because the writer of Hebrews says we have an opportunity today, and don't miss it, and don't let it go, to encourage one another. To exhort one another. Jesus builds encouraging houses who learn to rest in him. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. The Hebrews is a sermonic letter. And the challenge for me of preaching this is, I want to talk about everything, but that would take us years. We would be in Hebrews for years, and I don't want to be in Hebrews for years. Maybe you do, and that's great, but I don't want to. And then the challenge is, I want to talk about the text that we're reading. But in Hebrews, you can't do that and fully understand it. If you have a concordance, you notice that in Hebrews, you're all over the scriptures. Not just Numbers 14. Not just um, Psalm 95, but now Genesis 2 talking about the sabbath and he's using it as a metaphor he doesn't expect it's not just a metaphor it's also sunday is a day of rest and ceasing and celebration and feasting and prayer but it's also rest for our hearts this is rembrandt's return of the prodigal son and the reason i chose it is not simply because it's beautiful but because look how tattered the prodigal is and there are two lost sons one lost through his legalism and the other through his wild living. This painting is about the one who's lost through his wild living. Rembrandt didn't only paint this one time. Anyway, look how tattered the younger son is. That's why the writer of Hebrews says strive, because it takes action on our part not to have the love of God, but to experience and receive it. Can you accept I mean, this is a metaphor, but it's a good one. Can you accept 
the Lord's hands on your back, welcoming you. It's widely believed that those are Rembrandt's hands as he grew in his understanding of the grace and mercy and peace of Jesus. Do you know how to receive the embrace of the Father? And the writer of Hebrews inviting us to the Sabbath rest that is the people of God's not only understands that as good news in the present, but also that the people of God are to be characterized as an eschatological people. You know the word? End times, eschatology. Not apocalyptic, that's uncover, right? We are to be a people that are characterized uh, by what's going to happen eventually, Jesus' return. And he's combining all of these things at the same time. And comfortable with it as a preacher. I'm not comfortable. I want to talk a little more about Numbers 14. I love that he talks about the faithfulness of Moses because in Numbers 20, Moses wasn't faithful. But for his purposes, he wants to, Moses was much more faithful than not faithful, but he had his bad moments. I want to talk about Psalm 95 and how you can set Numbers 14 alongside Psalm 95 and see all these patterns that the writer of Hebrews understood as encouraging to the people of God. We get to deal with all of these things in this sermonic letter. And the reason is for the glory of God, but also for one another. When he adds these cautionary notes, what he's talking about is not only the opportunity individually, but more importantly, theologically, and especially the writer of Hebrews, is that we honor God, that we learn to care for one another. All of these warnings about not hardening their hearts like the Israelites did are about remembering to worship with and serve and learn to love the people of God that God has called you to be with. I think one of the oddest and most interesting things about the Christian life is the spiritual family that he calls us into and calls us to learn to love. As the writer of Hebrews warns us, he's doing that so that we might remember to worship with one another. And I know that's challenging to do online. And it's challenging to do in here. People that have, have begun attending our later worship service that's in person with masks on have said it's like a whole new church. It feels like an entirely different church. People that have been here for decades. It's challenging, but it is what we are summoned to do. Worship and honor God. Learn to love one another. And then there's verse 12 that I've just been sitting in and with all week and trying to think, how do I summarize? Like, I, I don't want to be in Hebrews for years, so how do we summarize chapters 3 and 4? I think we do it in a couple of ways. First, we receive the love of God. We trust Him with our mind and our emotions and our very being that He loves and likes us. Then we move towards one another and encourage them and we allow the scriptures on Sunday morning and as we study them alone and study them in groups, we allow them to read us. So my encouragement is, is going to be threefold and then we're going to receive the sacrament together which is far more powerful than my combination of words here. In light of Hebrews 3 and 4, I would encourage you in three ways and perhaps pray them now and later. 
Father, help me to receive your love. Jesus, please allow your scriptures to read me and help us to be for one another as a church. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you that you rescue your people, that you go after them and raise them up on eagles' wings. We praise you that you continue to pursue your people even when they were no longer a nation, but now a people united by faith. We praise you that Jesus is the perfect and complete prophet, priest, and king. And if you are going to indeed continue to delay your return, Jesus, we ask for strength. We ask that you help us to receive your love, to exhort and encourage one another. And as we approach your word corporately and individually, to allow it to read us and then guide us in the ways of life. Amen.